is Jimmy Scroggins, and I'm the lead pastor of Family Church in South Florida. Welcome to the Church for the Rest of Us podcast. On our podcast, we're committed to giving you scalable ideas that you can use with the resources you have right now at your church. So welcome to Church for the Rest of Us. Thanks for joining us today. Jimmy Scroggins here, high atop our office complex, downtown West Palm Beach, Florida, also known as the third floor in the little podcast room. And it's <laughs> awesome to have you guys with us. We've been unpacking our leadership principles, and today we're going to continue to do that. It's actually our last one. If you've been following along, if you've missed it, go back and catch up. Also, you can do me a huge favor. If you want to leave a comment or a rating, a review on your podcast platform for Church for the Rest of Us, that'd be a, a huge help for us. And also, I'd love for you to think about bringing you, your team, some lay people, bring your spouse. Come down here February the 10th to Church for the Rest of Us conference. You can find some details about that, churchfortherestofus.com. I think it'd be an encouragement to you. Plus, we'd like to learn from you, and it would be awesome if you'd come. But today, we're talking about leadership principles. Our final leadership principle is most universally applicable, and the principle is be excellent. And you can do that no matter where you are, no matter what kind of business you're in, no matter what kind of church you're leading. doesn't matter about the size, the budget, none of that matters. You can be excellent. And as always, I have my co-host, Leslie Bennett. Leslie, Who's going to talk to us about being excellent? Well, today we have the most excellent Mark Warnock and Tyler Kaur. So how about you guys just give a brief introduction? I think you've both been podcast guests mm-hmm. before, mm-hmm. so you're no strangers to the yeah. podcast. You're like podcast veterans, man. Oh, man. So uh, Team Six Special Forces <laughs> podcasters <laughs> today. I'm Mark Warnock. I'm the residency director, and I get to lead worship at North Stewart right now. So right. Uh, enjoying that a lot. Yeah, and I'm Tyler Core. I oversee our sixth through twelfth grade and college ministries downtown and across our network of uh, family church churches. Mm-hmm. So married to Ashley Core, and have been married nine years. Got two little kids, and we are loving life right now. Awesome. Yeah. No, no matter where we go, uh, Leslie, everybody's going to say they want excellence. I mean, there's not anybody that I know of in any place that goes, you know. I just don't think excellence is the standard for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's going to say they're striving for excellence, but people mean different things. In fact, one of the frustrations that I have as a pastor is sometimes when people challenge me and they say, well, Jimmy, if you do this this way, this certain thing, this certain way, you're not committed to excellence. And what that often means is money. If you don't mm-hmm. put more money mm-hmm. towards my thing, then you're not truly committed to excellence. And sometimes that could be true because sometimes to do things at a certain level, it does require commitment of resources, but that's not really what we mean when we talk about excellence at Family Church. That's right. That's right. Our operative definition of excellence is to be passionate about doing your very best in everything you do. And so I like it because it's simple. It doesn't necessarily require money. It's more about attitude and it's more about the culture of how we do those things. Kind of springs from Colossians chapter three, where Paul says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And so, you know, excellence is kind of, it's kind of a worship thing. That's how I think of it, is if we're doing our work for the Lord and honoring him in it, the heart and the attitude and the passion that we bring ought to reflect our worship for him. Yeah, I love that scripture. And it's always good to remind ourselves of that, you Mm -hmm. know, because you're usually down here on earth amongst the the muck and the people and everything that's happening. And you often have to remind yourself, take your eyes off of all of that Mm -hmm. and remember that everything you do, you're doing for the Mm -hmm. Lord. It's it's it helps 
create passion, I think, in us when we remind ourselves of that. Well, and it encourages me to know that Paul was saying that to slaves, mm -hmm. you know. Right, uh, right. Well, people who like- They weren't in control of a lot of resources. They, they, they were in control of anything. Like they had to do everything. It didn't matter if they had a good master or a bad master or whatever. And he says to them, whatever you're doing, whether you're being treated right or whether it's a thing you enjoy or whatever, do it like you would do it for the Lord. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Well, as we think about that, then talk about like, how does that relate to leadership? So as a leader, people listening to our podcast, what can they, how, how can they sort of try to live that out? Yeah. One great thing is that passion and attitude are like, it's free. Yeah. Anybody can approach their work or the things that they have to do with an attitude of honoring God and really giving effort. And effort is free too, right? That's right. It, it Elbow grease, man. It, it doesn't cost anything to really put yourself in there. And that doesn't mean that it's always just grinding, grinding for the sake of the grind, but uh, part of the effort is mental effort, it's creative effort. And I think we can apply that to anything that we do in ministry. And I think that's so important too, because if somebody's doing the best that they can with what they have, do effort, for instance, mm -hmm. the right kind of attitude, uh, the right kind of enthusiasm. So, so for instance, if we're going to let someone play music on Sunday morning, okay. if I let a third grader who's learned to play a hymn on the piano mm -hmm. come on the platform at one of our campuses and play at a third grade level, yes. Jesus loves me. Mm -hmm. Now, you could say, well, that's not excellent at all, because if you want excellence, man, you need to get a real virtuoso up here on a mm -hmm. grand piano and mm -hmm. turn them loose. Okay, well, that would be a kind of excellence. Mm -hmm. But what's excellent for the third graders, for the third grader to do the best they can for the Lord with the instrument they have and the opportunity that they have. And so I think all of us need to think about mm -hmm. excellence maybe in a, in a different way. I know that in worship environments particularly, there's this kind of perfectionism, and then there's this aspiration that every worship experience has to be like a big stadium event with yeah. like high production. Transcendent. And, you know, and, and all those, uh, you know, worship guys have, you know, technology envy and all that kind of thing. And when we talk about excellence in the worship context, I think a lot of times there are a lot of smaller churches who are aspiring so hard to that that they're pursuing that model, but they wind up not executing it excellently because they're stretching farther than they reasonably ought to. You know, part of what we talked about when we were teaching on this is that excellence involves stretching your capacity without overreaching it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't have reasonable resources to be able to pull off that kind of worship thing, well, then maybe you should scale it back and do something you can really execute well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so helpful. I know, uh, Leslie, you and I were on a, a trip with some other folks from our team and, and we were at in Houston and we got to go to a church that, um, they, they did worship music on a Wednesday night at a prayer meeting and they really didn't have, honestly, they, the people on the platform, we would never put those people on any platform at family church because mm -hmm. they wouldn't be, it wouldn't be good enough. Okay. All right. For what we do. And yet, Talk about our experience in the room. Yeah, it was an excellent experience. And we've talked about that here, just like chapel style worship or family dinner experiences where it doesn't have to be perfect, like you said, Mark. But, you know, the heart was there and the people were all in it and the people were just singing their hearts out because they were there to worship the Lord. And even though it wasn't full band and the best singer you've ever heard, you know, people were participating in it. It was sweet. It was a sweet spirit in the room. Yeah, I think I think there's, there's an element of subjectivity when it comes to excellence. I mean, you have to do the best you can with the resources you have and not everything's going to be equally resourced. And so there's Good an argument point. to be made that the more resources you have, like the less 
maybe effort you have to put in because you can kind of throw money at something and make it look good. But when you you have limited resources, you've got to be very intentional about how you spend your time. And so you might have somebody who might not be maybe as 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 gifted or naturally talented of a, a worship leader getting on the platform, but have they rehearsed really well? And have they worked to make sure the slides are are right? Have they thought about what they're going to say? How's their stage presence? Have they put the work into it to make to package it in a way that's going to present with excellence, although the natural giftedness might not be as gifted mm-hmm. as someone else. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, just think about hospitality works that way, doesn't it? So like you can go to someone's home and it's not necessarily, did they serve you lobster and filet mm-hmm. mignon? Mm-hmm. A right. lot of it has to do with effort, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. you go to someone's house, even if you go to someone's home, maybe they're, maybe, maybe they're not a wealthy person and maybe their home is very modest and maybe their silverware is not impressive or their tape, but they come and you can tell, man, they prepared They've cleaned their home. Mm-hmm. They they prepared a meal. They put their best. And when you go, I mean, if you ever, my gosh, go to the mission field. This happens all the time. Right, yeah. And you go, and you're like, man, these people just yeah. gave their best right here. Yeah, that's right. And now, it's sometimes depending on where you are, the best that you just saw would not even be considered acceptable in some environments. Mm-hmm. But on this day and this for where we are at today, this was the best. And so I think there's a you're right, Tyler. I think that's a really good point. Well, what about making uh, excellence part of our total approach to everything that we do? Yeah, so it's got to be comprehensive. So it's not necessarily a task that you complete. Excellence, in, in our definition, is actually a lifestyle that you embrace. So it's not something that you kind of turn off when you when you leave work. It's actually something that you got to do in your entire life that has to permeate your spiritual life, your physical life, professional, educational, and even uh, relationships. So it's, it's really comprehensive to everything that you do. And the other thing is it actually creates a culture of excellence around you. So as you have somebody who is uh, leading in a way uh, where they just exude excellence in everything that they do, what that does is it sets a standard so that people who don't fit into that mold and aren't pursuing excellence. You know what culture does? It spits people out who don't fit into that right, culture. Right. Well, the other side is if I'm somebody who's not leading with a sense of excellence, I'm going to attract other people who are not leading with excellence and who tend to be maybe a little more lazy. And so excellence is something that we've got to embrace as leaders, as husbands, as wives, as fathers, as educators, um, as students, and uh, as followers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great point. Yeah. So we have some practical guidelines that we've put to this definition of excellence. So let's go ahead and talk about those. I feel like we've kind of hit a little bit already on this first one. Mm-hmm. Um, always do the best you can with the resources that you have. I think limited resources can uh, can propel excellence because necessity is the mother of invention. And if you only have $500 to produce this event, okay, then the excellence, the creativity, the effort comes in. What can we do inside these limits? I think sometimes people think that excellence requires you to kind of blow out those limits. But I, I think having limitations on people and resources uh, really helps us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the other thing is we got to communicate realistic expectations upline and downline. Okay. In other words, you got to have clear communication for the people that you're asking to do things. What does excellence look like in your mind? I think clarity is king Mm -hmm. in so many different ways. But then I've also got to, for the people I'm reporting to, communicate upline to make sure they know uh, if I don't feel like I'm resourced enough or if I don't feel like I've got the time or I've got to drop the ball on something else in order to accomplish what Mm -hmm. I'm being asked to accomplish. 
clear communication uh, is is vitally important when it comes to to excellence. In and this. sometimes you have to press in and advocate for more resources right. if the expectation is that you know things are going to be better. Like if a pastor has to like preach at a convention and he's only got like three hours to get his message together, well, he probably better rearrange his schedule and maybe maybe work a little more diligently yeah. if he wants to do an excellent job. Yeah. And, and, and like you said too, like um, excellence is doing the best you can with what you have. So if we're, if we're going to have a thousand people at an event, you have $500 and your instruction are feed the people after the event. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, can you do it for five hours? Absolutely you can. You're probably talking about a hot dog. <laughs> right. All right. Yeah. You can probably get a thousand hot dogs and buns and mm-hmm. a bag of mm-hmm. chips for 500 bucks. But hey, that's the resources we have. That's going to be excellence for this for this event. But but you like you said, creating it up, uh, creating appropriate expectations upline and downline. Because mm-hmm. like all of you have have done this with me, where we've said, "Hey, let's do this, this, this," and you said, "Well, you know, Pastor, you're saying you want this, but this is the <laughs> amount of resources we have. Like that's not yeah. possible, right?" And so then maybe I have to go. Then we need more resources, or maybe I go, "Well, what can you do for mm-hmm. the resources that right. we have?" Right. Yeah, you you also have to balance that. So when I come to you with with a situation or a problem. I don't like to just present you with a problem and say, right. Pastor Jimmy, I need you to solve this. I like to come not with excuses for why I can't do something, mm-hmm. but right. to bring you with some possible solutions, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, hey, you know, you want us to feed a thousand people. We only got $500 for, for this event. I need more money. I don't like that. What I prefer to do is say, hey, you know, we've got $500. Here's the option that I can do right. for $500. Have the other, hot dog. I can, I can have a hot dog. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. Br- bring your own drink and we're going to, we're going to have a good time, you know, or we could consider changing the event to where it's a time where we don't have to feed everybody. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so then you're just making value judgments and decisions based off that. But I prefer people to come with me, not making excuses, but actually finding solutions and making proposals. That way we can, we can move forward. From yeah. That. And I like to call that creative alternatives. And mm-hmm. so if you can design creative alternatives when you're trying to um, trying to accomplish something excellently with limited resources, to me, I think that's what you're saying, Mark, mm-hmm. about how necessity is the mother of invention. Definitely. It requires you to design some creative alternatives. Like what you're saying, here's what we can do. Here, what if we did it in an alternate time? Mm-hmm. What if instead of a meal, we gave everyone a snicker bar mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. like we can we can come up with you know because that's, that's almost like a meal according to the commercial <laughs> so so i just think design and credit all terms is really really a powerful thing another one of our practical guidelines is uh we want to do our way our work in a way that makes jesus proud kind of yeah. goes to the heart of that verse in colossians you know if we're doing our work unto the lord like would we sing that song or preach that sermon or run that event, if Jesus was like standing right behind us looking over our shoulder, would he be proud of it? Which Mark, I don't know if you remember, Pastor Jimmy shared a story about this from, I don't know if you remember when you were a little boy, you shared this, I don't know, it was probably a year ago when you shared this with our staff about cleaning the toilet. Yeah. Uh You want to share that? That's so, that's so good. Yeah. So when I was a little boy, you know, I had two younger brothers, but my mom would give us chores. And one of my jobs was to clean the bathroom that my brothers and I used. Well, if you have, you know, little boys, the the toilet, it's just a job. Okay. So... (laughs) I didn't really like it. And so sometimes I wouldn't do that great of a job. My mom would come there and she'd be like, hey, uh, terrible job. You know, you need to <laughs> clean the toilet better. And I don't know why this popped into my mind, but I was in there. And one day I just got to thinking, you know, if I thought Jesus was going to come to our house tonight and have dinner and this was where he was going to use the bathroom, I'd clean the toilet different. <laughs> so if, I don't know how to say this, but like, it's like a seven or eight year old kid. I thought, you know what? 
I'm cleaning this toilet. So in case Jesus comes over, I'm going to be proud that he can, you know, I've cleaned <laughs> the go. toilet. And, and I don't know that. Make Jesus and your mama proud Yeah, of that's that right. One, and I your think. mama. <laughs> but, that, but Mark, that's what you're saying. I mean, that's a really good mindset to have because Jesus doesn't expect you to do more than you can do with the resources and the opportunity that you have. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to do this event, if Jesus showed up, would he be proud at the way I'm using mm-hmm. his resources that I've been allocated to do what I've been asked to do? And I think you can do that. And it's not a, Jesus isn't going to come over and go, seriously, no smoke machine. I mean, that that's not, <laughs> no. that's not what Jesus would say. As a matter of fact, I think about how God loved to come through for people with limited resources. Like Gideon had to trim down his army to 300, and yet God came and did the thing. Maybe the small group people come over to the house and all they've got is soup, but God allows the connection and the conversation there to be something that's just really divine. So I think Jesus helps us too. Yeah, I do too. All right, what's our next thing? Uh, So the next thing is be decisive and take action. Mm. So I don't know about you. I love working with people who are doers, you know, people who are, who are constantly running a hundred percent, even if they don't know exactly where to go. Sometimes they're, they're doing it with passion. They're doing it with enthusiasm and they have a bias toward action. Uh, It just makes it so much easier to push the ball forward and to trust these people with things. So I'd rather have to pull the reins back on somebody mm-hmm. than to try to motivate them to, to just go. And so I want people to be decision makers and to be people that have a, a, a bias toward action. They might fail sometimes, but at least they're going to fail forward when they do. And then uh, the next thing is, is use data, best practices mm-hmm. and research to help assess and guide your decision making. And so uh, one of the ways you can pursue excellence is by looking around to see yeah. basically to benchmark and to see what other people are doing in a similar mm-hmm. field that you're working with. I heard, uh, I was listening to Charles uh, Duhigg uh, earlier talk about being an innovation broker. Hmm. He said, we, oh, we, we all need to be innovation brokers where we're, we're taking uh, practices, principles, ideas, research from other fields and bringing them into our fields. And a lot of innovation now isn't creating something totally new. Mm-hmm. It's taking kind of, things from two separate fields and merging them together to push the ball forward in what you're doing. I think that's, that's what we're doing. We're watching other churches. We keep our eyes on all other churches. Don't I mean all over the the place, all over the world, really Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what are they doing that we can learn from and maybe customize in our own context. That's really, really important. I really like this one. We're leaning into this hard in our communications department right now, just the data aspect of it. So what are we tracking? Are we tracking these things? Because how can we know what's working if we're not tracking what we're doing ourselves? So it's a lot of work. You know, you're moving a million Mm -hmm. miles an hour, and then you have to figure out, okay, this spreadsheet, I'm going to put this together, and then every week I'm going to go on and I'm going to look at these numbers. But we need that data, I think, to inform our decisions so that we can be more excellent because I feel like everything we're doing is really, really excellent already, but we're always looking to just maybe tweak it a little bit, continuous improvement, you know, Mm -hmm. making it a little bit better, being a little more effective um, with the resources that we have. So I love that one. And I think too, uh, on data, the reason that's important, especially if you're in church work, most churches are horrible data users, Mm -hmm. right? Right. So most church work is done by feel, intuition. And so a pastor or the staff, they sit around and they kind of go, well, I just feel like it would be better if we just did it this way. And they don't ever say, well, why? And is there any data to back that up? Is there anybody else doing it that way that's having the kind of success you're envisioning? And so there's, you know, 
using data and having informed decisions is so much better than always leading from your gut, mm-hmm. especially when the, as the stakes get higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, if your gut's wrong, boy, it'd be better to have your gut confirmed by some by, right. by some data. Right. And then I think your point of being decisive is so powerful. My dad, you know, my dad's a high school football coach. So my dad, he always used to yell at us when we played football for him. And he would say, because uh, because sometimes guys get out there and they get confused and they almost get paralyzed. And you see guys on the football field not moving. Mm-hmm. And my dad would say, hey, I don't care if you mistake, make a mistake. I just want you to make a mistake while you're running full speed. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I just think that has so many applications as I've grown up as a leader in organizations. Like I'm the same way, Tyler. I don't care if someone makes a mistake as long as they make it while they're running full speed. I can I can live with it. Well, when, when you're collecting data, you're doing research, you want to make informed decisions. The opposite end of that is you can have paralysis by analysis, right? right. You can spend right. way too much time mm-hmm. over analyzing something, and at some point you gotta you gotta make a decision, and you've got to hold to your timeline. I don't know about you, Pastor Jimmy. I'd rather have a decision that's maybe seventy percent as good mm-hmm. made in the right timeline that then is executed well, and you've got the time and the people all on the same page to execute it, then maybe a great idea that's a 100% idea, but it's a little too late and you can't execute it as well. Well, that's right. And and, and this is another thing, you know, it kind of goes to innovation is that uh, if you're trying to be innovative or do something new or do something different or aggressive, it's not going to be a hundred percent before you try it. And if you're waiting and some, you know, I, again, I think some pastors and leaders in churches feel pressure to be able to tell people, if we do this, it's 100% going to work, <laughs> or they can't do it. Well, if that's all you're doing, like, you're basically going to do nothing because, you know, you've got to take some risks out here in order to move the ball forward in in big chunks. And so that's why I just feel like you have to make some decisions where you're just, you're not, your data can support why you're making the decision, but your data can't tell you the future. Because all the data tells you is what has happened. It doesn't tell right. you what will happen. Right. Okay. And so there's the indicator, but you don't know. And, and I also think, Tyler, another thing I've learned, you said 70%. I think that most effective leaders are about 85% good decision makers. Hmm. Okay. So, and I, I this, this is a totally anecdotal statistic. It's I, I don't know if anybody can ever study this. I've come to believe that leaders who are effective are going to be right about 85% of the time. Some more, some less. And the reason that's important is if I have you as a leader in our student ministry and you tell me, hey, I've looked at this. This is what I want to do. I'm ready to pull the trigger. I'm not asking you, can you 100% guarantee this is going to be good? I already think you're 85% or better going to be right. And so I'm kind of trusting the leaders to lead. And I found by just kind of believing that about our leaders, it leaves us a little margin so that mm-hmm. there are going to be times when they try something and it doesn't work the way that they hoped. Right. But the vast majority of the time, they're gonna do. It's gonna work. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they, if it didn't, they couldn't be leaders, right? All right. So yeah. that they've emerged as leaders because they're usually right. Mm-hmm. And so I think letting people do that's vital. You know, Pastor. The other thing I really love about this is a leadership value. And we say this a lot that culture holds itself accountable. Yeah. And when you establish a culture of excellence, it's kind of self reinforcing. Yeah. Uh, I saw this with my residency students. They they got to preach a couple of weeks ago for the first time, you know, and they're all nervous about it or whatever. But they come up and the first one does a good job, and you know, all the others are like, "Man, well, I don't know if I'm going to be we as good as him or whatever." Yeah. Like, like, and so so it kind of is mutually reinforcing. And I see that in our in our uh, network. We just had a night of worship that went off so really well. That inspires me to do things well in leadership. Student ministry executes well. And we constantly hear these stories of our folks performing well and performing excellently. 
excellently. And uh, I think it drives us all to do the same. Yep. One of Leslie Bennett's personal friends, uh, Jack Kemp, the late Jack Kemp, he used to say a rising tide uh, lifts all boats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that is, uh, I don't know if he coined that or not, but that's just where I heard it. And I thought it was very, 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 very good. All right. So I think we've hit on set goals and timelines, hold yourself and others accountable. What would we do next as a practical guideline? Well, we really have two more. Number one is call the play and run the play, which we kind of just talked about. Make the mm-hmm. decision and then execute it. And uh, and then the last one is commit to continuous improvement, right? So uh, even if you, you let's just say student camp, for instance, I felt like we came back from student camp and I felt like it was amazing. I felt like our team did phenomenal. Yeah. Our church pulled together mm-hmm. and things just went really, really well. Uh, well, we came back, we celebrated, we had a good time. And then what did we do? We debriefed it yeah. and we can pick it apart all out of the desire to be more excellent next time we do it. And so the, the challenge in that is you can't take things personal. Uh, you want to, out of a spirit of continuous improvement, get feedback from people who are seeing it from different perspectives so that you can help push the ball forward and push the ball down the road next year. And there's an element of trust that's got to be present in a team to be able to receive that type of feedback, don't you think? I do. And I think that you uh, really work your team really well on this because I've been present when you were getting feedback from your team and it's pretty raw and honest, and yet it's never negative or accusatory. Right. So sometimes when you get feedback, someone will suggest a tweak or say, hey, I really do think. And the way they say it in the spirit in which they are communicating makes it feel like they're attacking. Right. And I think you've cultivated an environment with your team, Tyler, where that's just not the case. And they're 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 very positive. Hey, this was an A plus event, but we're not going to do it exactly the same way next year. We've got to learn something. And I think you guys have a great, great, great spirit in that. Hey, I'd love, I'd love to just go around real quick before we wind this down. So we have a lot of people listening. They're different sized churches, some small, medium, whatever. If there's somebody who sits there and goes, you know, I just think I've been lax. I, I have been focused on other things, and I need to raise the level of excellence in my own ministry, in my church, in my organization. What is one like initial baby step? What's one thing they could do like right now with the resources they have in order to to, to begin to orient themselves towards excellence? And I'd like to start with you, Mark. I think if you're a pastor or worship leader and you want to increase excellence, then you take whatever it is that you're executing week by week and you start with you uh, because you are the culture. And so if you're a preacher and you press in harder to your sermon prep, your people are going to know. Mm-hmm. After two, three, mm-hmm. four Sundays, they're going to be like, man, this guy's kind of sharpening up. And they're, they'll sort of like lean in a little bit closer and uh, and that'll be the beginning. And from your personal commitment to it, then you can say, see what I'm doing to your staff or your team or your volunteers is like, let's all do this together. Yeah. How about you, Tyler? I would say, well, I'd like to jump off something Mark said a little bit earlier. Um, a lot of myths about what excellence is. It's mm-hmm. And it's not workaholism, yeah. uh, right? And it's not perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the greatest challenges uh, to going after excellence is mm-hmm. having too crowded of a schedule and too many mm-hmm. things that are important. Mm, and so it's good. the tyranny of the urgent. That's good. And I just feel that around so many people that I talk with, there's so many things that are important. They can't do anything with excellence because they have to do everything. And uh, so I would say, clear your schedule, say no to a ton of things so that you can say yes to the most important things. Mm-hmm. And then make your day when you schedule your calendar, make your day about 
pushing the ball forward in one big priority so that yeah. you can lay your head down at night and know I crushed it today when I was working on this. Yeah, so. man. You guys are motivating. Leslie Bennett, last word. Well, I think something you said earlier, Pastor Jimmy, you mentioned the word tweak. And we like to talk around here about the power of the tweak. So it goes to the spirit <laughs> of continuous improvement. Mm-hmm. So anything that you're doing, hopefully you are already striving for excellence, but there is always a little bit of a power of the tweak. And you can always make things a little bit better as you look at the and debrief it and talk about it. So I think that's a really important concept. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. You can leave a rating or make a comment. That would be huge for us if you'd be willing to do that on the podcast platform to which you're listening. And uh, again, we'd love to meet you in person on February the 10th. We're going to have Church for the Rest of Us conference. You can find details at churchfortherestofus.com. And uh, next week, we're going to have a bonus episode. And our friend, the one and only Katie Cole, is going to be talking about her new book, Finding Your Leadership Voice in 90 Days. I like every aspect of that title, you know, (laughs) finding your voice, doing it in 90 days. It's kind of what we've been talking about. That's right. right. So I can't wait to hear what Katie has to say. I'm Jimmy Scroggins. I'm signing off. Leslie Bennett, Tyler Core, Mark Warnock, Church for the Rest of Us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog or follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins. We want to connect with you and learn from you because we're in this together. We're all learning from each other. We are church for the rest of us.